Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lovecraft Show where we talk about love, crafts and everything in between with makers from around the world. To subscribe, just search for the Lovecraft Show in whatever app you choose. And if you like what you hear, please be sure to leave us a review, show your friends that you've got exceptional taste and make the Lovecraft Show your number one choice. You know, we were talking about dogs earlier, and I've been reading a really good book right now about an immortal dog. It's impossible to put down. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's the Lovecraft Show. My name's Mr. Extich. And I'm Marion. And we're here. I can almost feel the colour coming through the audio airwaves at me. We are here with, I can't even describe, Technicolor temptress Katie Jones. Hello Katie, how exciting is this? Thank you very much for having me. Super exciting man, I can't wait. Tell us how you are Katie, how's your quarantine been? How's your lockdown? Lockdown, I mean other than like the world being kind of horrible, lockdown has been, I mean I think I'm quite suited (laughs) to it really. I'm really used to working from home, I do that most of the time my husband also works from home so we didn't have to get used to that sort of will we kill each other vibe and I've got I've sort of moved house last year so I've got lots of projects and DIY to do so actually it's been kind of a nice change of pace if you ignore all the other (laughs) horrible parts of it but actually like me and my house I've been um, really liking it and lots of people have also been picking up crochet and crafting which has been really great I think so that's been really fun yeah how about yours well the same I mean I feel terrible because I know that so many people have had terrible things happen to them not least of all catching the dreaded COVID but you know without work and struggling financially and all those things I'm blessed that it, we have been able to work all the way through all our sort of little Lovecraftians have been based in in our houses but I too have really quite enjoyed the solace uh, and they're not going out for gratuitous dinners. You don't have to make the bad excuses. You do. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't have to make this bad. I'm quite, I mean, I try and be good, but I think I'm quite flaky. Because if I'm comfy in home and working on a project, and then I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to go out. And then I get quite flaky. And now don't have to make any flaky excuses because... We had some visitors. We had some visitors about a week and a half ago and we were in a blind panic for like three days in advance of it because we were so unused to what to do and being like, we actually need to tidy up. It's not acceptable for waste to be covering our shoes inside the house anymore. (laughs) I think it is quite daunting at the beginning, isn't it? It's like when you're really used to, especially if you're used to being quite social and used to, because I also lecture, so I'm used to talking at people all day, every day, on my feet most of the time. And then working from home. And I think, I mean, I think I've been eating quite a lot of biscuits, but it is quite weird when you're used to talking all day and then you're suddenly like, oh, I haven't oh. had a proper conversation for, you know, when you wake up till like the middle of the day. Did you talk at your husband a lot in the early first couple of weeks? Just in the habit No, no, always. Don't need to talk to him. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, no we basically, he does a sort of, I do obviously talk to my husband, but he is an animator and he works remotely most of the time. But once, if he's switched on, he's switched on. You know, like he's sort of like a horse with the blinkers mm. and then he's on. So if I would like wake up later, you know, the first conversation would be about seven. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever 
taken your crochet and his animation and made sweet, sweet animation together. Sweet babies. I first wooed him with crochet. I'm not also an Aragurumi person. No, That's nor me. not my jazz. But he had done like this animation of this weird monster thing. And I think about a month and a half after we started dating, I like crocheted him it in reality. So Ooh. that bit. And um, I'm currently trying to do more sort of online stuff as in like videos and tutorials and I've been doing a little bit but he helps me with my logo and he's sort of working also on like a little intro so I suppose that's the first you're gonna have some flashy graphics going on soon aren't you yes some flashy graphics with a warning saying flashing colorful images if you're of a sensitive disposition yes I want it to feel like the best 90s craft tv show so he's helping me with that so for those of you listening and you haven't met katie online and you haven't seen katie's love of color katie loves bright colors so katie tell us about that i mean i know what we really want to know is where did it all begin and where's it all going and what have you been doing in the middle of all of that where's it (laughs) come from what's the story with the whole sort of craft thing for you and um you know the color thing Colour is probably, I'm going to thank my nan for it. Like my granny, she was a little, I'm six foot, so I'm quite giant. Mm. My granny always wore like bright pink or bright red. They were like her two colours. And she was kind of the same height and build as me. So I sort of took quite a lot of her clothes when I was younger because I've been this size since I was, I think, about 12, 13. But really, I think I did it to start because I sort of stuck out I was like well I might as well do it for reasons that aren't like my physical attributes and do it on purpose Mm. and Mm. so I sort of adopted it like a bit of like a coat of armor I think yeah and I had a really bad phase I think someone in the like town I'd hear people saying they look it's the rainbow warrior because I'd wear like those rainbow (laughs) stripy knee socks they're like a rainbow stripy skirt and then like one of those like slightly hippie rainbow stripy jumpers from Brighton and just like was basically just a walking rainbow. Love and it. so that was my vibe as a sort of kid teenager. And I don't think I've ever really thought about my love of colour. I just kind of have always loved it and it makes me happy. And I kind of just don't understand when people don't like it. It's more the thing. It's, I suppose it's like for me, it just feels like really normal or natural like when you're a toddler or a child you decorate your kids rooms super Mm. wacky they wear bright colors everything Mm. you love is super colorful i don't know what you suddenly hit that then that has to disappear isn't it curious i mean i love color although my palette may be slightly different from yours but i love all your things and i can't understand the gray people you know that just like like 10 different shades of gray Uh, i mean i know i get it but it just does nothing for me. No. I think it's curious because I've got a three-year-old and we she we like putting her in colourful clothes. And then we got this black T-shirt given to her and we were like, mm, that seems a bit weird. And yeah, that was all I wore when I was a teenager. Like, I don't know what it's happens. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, I don't know if it's like a self-realisation or like you don't want to stick out or it's weird. I, I don't know. There's like a weird moment where it's like deemed non-acceptable or like or it's not grown up and I think there's a real there's a real big sort of clash with I think what we assume is like serious or adult and grown up to like what is bright 
And I think you can be both. Do you know what it reminds me of? When you look at cars down the road, the only colourful cars are like the sports cars these days. All the normal cars are just boring colours. And it's almost like there's the story, isn't it? If you're colourful, you're exciting. If you're normal, you're boring. But if you're normal, you can't be colourful. You're not allowed. You have to have a silver car or a navy car or something. That's quite nice about those sort of little Fiat 500s because they, they're they like smarties, aren't they? They pop up buzzing all over the place in different colours. They're quite young. So I suppose maybe colour, we associate colour with youth. Maybe that's what it is. If you'd have gone to Canary Wharf, I used to work in Canary Wharf back at the turn of the century. If you'd have gone there and you bright colourful things, people would have been falling over all over the place because they were all in like grey suits watching their lives evaporate. I used to have a studio and I'd have to go through on the DLR Canary Wharf yeah. and it would be quite funny that you were sort of like the one. They'd be um, recoiling, presumably, going, what is that unusual, <laughs> beautiful, bright thing in front of me? But yeah, I don't know. I think it's seen as non-serious. I mean, mm-hmm. I suppose it's like what we consider like workwear, like traditional work clothes is that you're going to be, you know, in a black pantsuit or, you know. And so I then just like to wear rainbow dungarees and look like a sort of glorified child's TV presenter. But I think that's fine. I think the best compliment I can have is if like a child on the street points at me and is like, woo! And I'm like, yeah, that's all the kind of yeah. compliments I want. The recognition. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Also for women everybody you get obsessed with that thing of like black is more slimming and so women you know suddenly young women who used to wear lovely lovely things like bright things suddenly then they sort of get into their 20s and start wearing dark things because it yeah slimming slimming or serious or sexy like I think think it's like if you're bright and colorful you're childish and you're not serious yeah and you shouldn't be taken seriously and there's loads of weird connotations to it and I'm not really quite sure why? There's a PhD in there somewhere, isn't there? I mean, if I there is. <laughs> could be bothered to write lots, I'm going to blame being very dyslexic that I couldn't do that. But yes, I think it's really interesting. I think it's, I mean, it's like lots of stuff to do with crafts. It's sort of like um, when they're not deemed serious enough because they are, you know, mm. more feminine. And then, you know, it's, I think there's a whole social narrative a whole load in the craft world yeah exactly which is sort of about that and sort of diminishing something's seriousness because either it's brightly colored or it's represented by a woman it's um i always think as well there's a thing about like um i go every now and again i go through a phase of making juices and there's a particular juice i like right and it's two carrots two apples and half a lemon and you bang it all in the juice maker and you drink it and it feels like life itself is causing like it's ridiculous and you just know that it's something that's intrinsically good for you and i feel like in a way it's a bit the same about wearing bright colors you can wear them and you feel better for it and the only challenge you're gonna face is you versus your your perspective of what society thinks about you wearing those colors Mm. do you know what I mean like because you're like I like wearing bright socks but then if I go to a (laughs) a group with my daughter where I've got to get my bright socks out all of a sudden I feel like a bit of a spanner (laughs) but I don't I just think everybody must think do you know what I mean yeah it's weird I think I think like lots of things it's actually maybe not even other people's impression of us it's like your own inbuilt impression of yourself and I'm sure it's I'm sure it must be a cultural thing as well. I'm sure we must be sort of the sort of uptight British thing must come into play because there must there are other places in the world where colour is such an important, wonderful thing. I remember my dad was married to a very lovely Chinese lady and she got married in red, you know, and red was like the best colour in the world to get married in because it was good luck and it was wonderful. And you just think, you know, if you got married in red here in old, good old London, we're probably okay now, but I mean, it would have been a huge, 
<laughs> yes, they would. And so I think it's just, it's fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I think colour theory is really, really interesting. And mm. exactly how it's perceived from people from different backgrounds and what you've sort of grown up to believe is intrinsic to do with like various colours. I think it's really really interesting because also like you're saying like very different places accept colors super differently or like what is you know important or what is serious or what is good luck yeah so if you go if you go to south america and you look at the south american textiles they're really vibrant all the time even like um some of the african nations and stuff they have a lot of vibrancy there oh yeah do you think in england we all look back at our cultural heritage and go well that was muted wasn't it if you sort of go back I mean it's like if you go back further enough it's you know when men were originally more flamboyant and all of that stuff and then or you look at old houses if you go to those big manor houses and actually how everything is so richly decorated and ornate and then I don't know when that sort of I suppose like the mass production of clothing or then the mass production of homes it kind of eradicates that there is a wonderful book actually by Cassie Sinclair, which is about the history of colour. There's some amazing gems in there. The fact that like pink was designed really for men. So that because it was a much more flamboyant colour. So men were the first people to wear pink. And of course, the, I think it was Queen Anne who wanted white ceilings in rooms. Because if you go back into medieval times and Tudor times, the colour palettes were massive. You know, It was a signal of your wealth that you could afford these wonderful colours on the walls. But then Queen Anne came along and said, no, no, I want white ceilings and white uh, skirting boards. Mm. And now everybody does that. But it, having a white ceiling wasn't the norm. It makes it easier. I mean, I think it's sort of driven by mass production stuff because I think if we're being told to buy this new thing for our house, actually, if everything is white and it's going to go in our house, then it's going to match. So it sort of helps us be able to buy more and change more without sort of, I suppose, changing your full decor, which obviously is like quite a big undertaking. I saw a really cool episode of Grand Designs where some people had taken, they did their bathroom up, but basically they got like an avocado bath and a pink, you know, like the proper like 1960s, 70s sinks and stuff. So pink much. sink, yellow toilet, avocado bath, put them all together. It looks so cool. And you were like, why yeah. does nobody ever dare do that? It's crazy. We had an avocado bathroom when we moved into this house and a yellow a little downstairs toilet that my daughter used to call the honey toilet. But actually, <laughs> I just... That's adorable. Yeah, but I really, I was really so sad when we had to take them out because they were not usable in the end. But I, I loved that avocado bath. So Katie, but to tell us then the crafting and the making, I was saying to Jamie before we were on air that you've got Katie Jones knit all over your... Just to really confuse everybody (laughs) and stress them out. And also, I'd like to say, I am one of those people that just bloody hates it when people clarify crochet as knit and vice versa. Especially at the moment with that blooming Harry Styles jumper that every article calls it knit, then grab your hooks and then this crochet thing. And I'm like, the most infuriated. And then, I mean, it's annoying (laughs) because I do it myself. It could be worse. You could be called Mr. X Stitch and people, when you tell them I'm known as Mr. X Stitch, they go, oh, I love knitting. And you're like, oh, well, (laughs) I digress. (laughs) My mum is pretty crafty. She grew up in a really small village. Until she went to university, you just made all your clothes because that's what you did. That's what you could afford. That's how it worked. And so she grew up just, it was kind of normal and then taught me the same. And so I was quite crafty as a kid. I never wanted to be a fashion designer. I wasn't one of these children that, 
you know, use one of those fashion wheels and dreamed, dreamed of my life as a designer. He loved them. Yeah, I was just just a bit crafty. Just made a lot of tap most of the time. And like, I love it. I sort of, it wasn't really actually until I got to sixth form college. I was going to originally wanted to do music promotion management because I was really, really, I was like a massive busted stalker to like the dangerous like I saw them like 26 times in one year bad wow bad year <laughs> as a busted stalker um, and I wanted to do music promotion management and I didn't do too bad on my art so I was like oh I'll just do you know maybe I'll do an RA level at the same time and the teacher there who I'm still friends with because was like one of the sort of real inspirations I think to me was like but you're really good at art and like crafting like don't you want to do this and somehow I then changed and I did like this course, but it meant basically all my A-levels had to become art because if you did this double course, you had to do art history. And so then sort of from just kind of liking it, it became my world really. And then my mum had some time off, I think, when I was doing my final A-levels and started crocheting again. And I started sort of knitting and I knitted something for one project and then I just didn't turn back. My nan had taught me one crochet stitch. I could do like a trim, like a scallop trim. And that was about it. And so I started knitting and I knitted this jumper where I put like a intarsia of Elvis's face in the back. And it was supposed to be skinny Elvis (laughs) and I hadn't used the correct graph paper and it became more like fat Elvis. But (laughs) it was still recognisable. And then I knitted everything. And then I went to art school. I went to Central St. Martin's and I did fashion knitwear for seven years in one (gasps) which is long because I did a BA and an MA and I had like a gap here and originally all I did was knit I knitted I knitted by hand I used a like domestic knit machine and I didn't really fall in love with crochet until my final year I worked for a designer alongside my studies on production and it was really hardcore like on the knit machine it was really knackering I mean amazing and amazing that when I was studying I managed to get a job alongside in the thing that I also love doing but it meant you were really hunched over a knit machine all the time and so I was like how can I do my study part and like make my collection with something that basically I'm not in the same position because if I sit like this for any more of my day (laughs) I'm gonna not have a back and so then I sort of found crochet and it I was like this is what I've been waiting for like I think But with knitting, you have to be incredibly pre-planned and I'm far more slapdash. And I just love the fact I could sort of make and budget slightly. Um, And it just felt really natural. And then since then, I've been crochet. But when I first started, Katie Jones, really common name. So I think I tried to coin my website because I started and I had like a women's wear label and I was selling pieces. And I was like, okay, I need something else to put with Katie Jones. And because crochet although not knit I was mainly because when I was producing it was still more heavily knit because it was easier to produce and is counted under knitwear I became Katie Jones knit and now forever annoy people because I've just decided (laughs) I don't really like knitting that much anymore so I don't do it and it just annoys people because they come for knit and I'm like sorry guys none of that think somewhere else there's another Katie Jones who's quite into knitting who's like god damn it yeah, really, yeah. really pissed off. She's going to call herself she's like, she's not crochet. even a knitter. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sorry, guys. Big hypocrite. And now it's sort of too far. 
where you're like it's on everything mm. yeah you can't really change it back at one point i contemplated like studio but nah it will stay i just annoy people forever in <laughs> um in i think it's your grandparents house there's that little doll that covers over the toilet roll <gasps> with a dress made of crochet i love them they're yeah. like my favorite thing <laughs> Mm. And I really want one. Um, I suppose you've got one. I'd imagine you'd have like rows of them in all kinds of weird. So I really, I and I sort of started making one of the like wine bottle poodles because I think that's better. Oh, but yeah. In a I was bathroom, just they say just that. get so dusty. Mm. Yeah, it's not the same, is it? I could imagine you doing something that was a recreation of like the Last Supper, but with like twelve crochet dolls. I don't know, having a crochet dinner. Have you or been in my house? Honestly, yeah, it's just naturally occurring, isn't it? No, I love I love those things. I love them. So I feel much. like maybe there was an early like somewhere like because I I think my grandparents had one of those. You know, I've got an affection for that. But I feel like those things lodge in there, and then somewhere down the line they come back out in the form of your massive addiction to granny squares. Yes, just that kitchenness. Mm. Kitchens. I remember my auntie Wendy had one of those crochet wine bottle poodles. And I was deeply moved by that. I loved it when I was little. I mean, why not? Why not cover your booze with a cute little crochet poodle? I mean, <laughs> and lots who of first thought that up? I'm very happy about it. And very the loop, happy. loop stitch. That was it. All about oh. loop stitch. I loved it. Has anybody ever made one of those toilet roll things with Action Man? Probably not the same, right? No. I don't think Action Man likes crochet. Although, did we not talk to someone the other day? Oh, no, we did. Was it not Stuart Hillard who said that he uh, he made his Action Man lots of jumpers and things? He might, he might have done <laughs> yeah, it. He probably did, didn't he? he I think that's, that roll. toilet roll thing is due for a renaissance, though, isn't it? Because I had a friend once. This is obviously a deviation. I had a friend who um, used to keep all their loo rolls in a basket by the side of the toilet. Now... You won't appreciate this, but sometimes when you're a man, if you're going for a wee first thing in the morning, your aim is off. End of story. Why are you going <laughs> to have... Into the basket of loo rolls. Why no, are you going to no. put it by the toilet? That's ridiculous. Oh. It's almost like my wee nose. Why do you put it in the toilet? I feel the first question is be like, practice with your aim. I don't think it's the basket problem. <laughs> do you know what, though? I think if you're the mother of boys, you will know that this is a very common thing. Although now, like the thing is, is I don't like it because it just like gets dusty. But actually, with all the sort of like don't give a crap toilet rolls, they're all individually wrapped. So you could easily put it in and there won't be like toilet roll dust everywhere. And so maybe actually the, they can have a comeback. Those who gives a crap are amazing. We miscalculated because we've got who gives a crap. We miscalculated the amount we want and currently have 180 <laughs> toilet rolls in our garage. Don't need a toilet roll for the next decade. Did you bulk think. buy at the beginning of the lockdown? <laughs> that's like we had one and then we were like, oh, but do we need another one? And I have the same kind of situation where Six, I'm like, yeah, I've just changed my subscription because we had that as well for lockdown. I think everybody had it for lockdown. And that apparently there's one that you can actually buy that's sort of like got a play theme for kids to build castles with and then knock down with a print on the wrappers. Amazing. If you're unsure of what we're talking about, yeah. we're talking about the uh, the great we'll toilet roll a... subscription service. <laughs> Who gives a crap? And we will put a link in the Affiliate show notes. link in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, Katie, earlier on, so you said you mentioned dyslexia. Are you actually dyslexic? Yes. Very dyslexic. Um, and I, this is one of the joyous moments, I think, of things like this. So you're dyslexic and yet you did 
A-levels and then a bachelor's degree and then a master's and now you're a lecturer. I think that's absolutely fabulous for anybody listening who is dyslexic or has a dyslexic child. It's very aspirational and thrilling. I think one, it's great that it sort of gets cooled up earlier now because I didn't actually get tested till I was at university and the person that tested me laughed in the nicest way and was like I don't know how because I actually I didn't get terrible GCSEs but laughed and said she didn't know how I had basically got my GCSEs and myself because and I must have like done so many sort of auto coping mechanisms to sort of get around it and then actually what the things that I didn't realize I think is then when I had like the test and you do all these various things I think why art schools are so heavily dyslexic it's a really huge representation of like the students is because actually things like spot the difference is one of the things that they gave me at the time I don't know if it's still on their testing thing but as like a dys- dyslexic person also with a lisp so dyslexic is hard to say <laughs> that uh you spot things quicker your like visual awareness is ahead of the norm and so that's why also in like sort of artistic subjects there's a huge percentage of uh, people with dyslexia because actually you might you know screw up your spelling and your sort of numbers and some ways of like reading is a little bit harder with some things but actually some things you're far more quicker at or like it's more um is that like a preemptive instinct like you're already you're looking at things ahead of the game to make sure when the game arrives you're as in the game as you can be sort of I suppose if you don't know any other way right but I think I'm quite like visually observant like I remember visuals really Mm. well Mm. not quite like a photographic memory but you know like if you're doing even like directions or where things are laid out I know that I'm very sort of good at that and I think it's just one of those things that I think it's good that it's sort of picked up more now and yeah I don't think it can really stop you doing anything and even things like universities now are really reacting to helping students like that like I definitely know if you're in the arts and you're doing it so you still have to sort of do a dissertation and things like the uni where I am and I think they're sort of rolling out more instead of written you can do sort of a visual photo book or an oral presentation and so actually it's that thing I suppose it's not labeling one thing as one thing it's like you can be academic even if you're a bit dodgy at writing um because actually, when you're speaking about a topic verbally, you can be really eloquent. Um, Absolutely. It's not mutually exclusive. So how does your dyslexia cope when it butts up against knitting and crochet patterns in? I suppose it's like the way, like if I read a pattern, and most of the time crochet patterns, like the terminology is put in lowercase. I can't read basically if it's all in lowercase. It's like looking at something that's like bleh. So those who sort of get my patterns will notice that when I put like my abbreviations, they're in capitals and the rest of the pattern is in lowercase because it means I can read it. Whereas Mm -hmm. if it was all in lowercase, I look at it and it's just sort of like over my head. It blurs into one. It means I have to be very good when I reread stuff and it gets like checked because obviously it's all numbers and letters and abbreviations, which is not great but I think it's actually weirdly helped me because it means I have to really concentrate when I read Mm. and so I don't read I don't sort of skim read so I suppose it means that then there's like a thoroughness that you sort of have to go Mm. through and check everything off but I definitely know when I'm reading other patterns and I think 
for me also, like when I learned to crochet and knit, because I learned at university and I learned in the guise of, I suppose, being a designer and doing it that way. When I left, I had to actually teach myself how to read knit and crochet patterns. And the only reason I had to teach myself, because actually when I was working for designers, you don't use the same terminology. Most of the time you just do like written graphs and it's treated a bit more like a normal pattern. But I got like a part-time job as a like knitting and crochet tutor. And I had to basically learn for that. And so the first bit I was relearning because I'd never had to use official patterns or official mm. terminology before which is quite weird when you've learned something and been actively working in it for about seven years to then be like oh okay now I need to learn how to actually uh, write this down and then especially as crochet is just really annoying in terms of UK and US terminology just to add something else just in there to, to spice add it something up. else <laughs> yes very annoying so tell us about where you're teaching now and what you're teaching now so I work um, at Middlesex University on the fashion foundation and I do that three days a week I love teaching I think it comes with the sort of workshop stuff and showing people how to make stuff I really vibe off it I love it I really love teaching knitting and crochet but that is quite a different vibe I think from lecturing I suppose one is like purely the skill and also it's very different teaching people things in like an evening class for their enjoyment and their sort of hobby to then teaching people that want to or at the very beginning of their career and want this to sort of go on. Because then, yeah, you did a degree in fashion knitwear and I was quite curious about kind of what that entails. Like what, did you do a thesis? Did you, like, what was... So I did fashion knitwear and I liked it because basically I think I've always thought about design in, like, terms of its, like, placement and garment and how that works. And so you obviously get two sort of types of degree. You get the fashion degrees or fashion and textile degrees and textiles obviously you're mainly just concentrating on swatching and techniques and you can learn really amazing things but I was always really obsessed with like placement because I think it's really important and shape and how because I sort of already knew that I wanted to do knit I love the fact that you could do stuff fully fashioned and so I went to St. Martin's and at the time, I mean, when did I graduate? I finished my MA in like 2013. When I started, it was like very arty farty. It was mainly like real just art school, art school. Make the weirdest things you can. Try and make, you know, the most like... Everyone does like a project made out of hair. Everyone does a project <laughs> using monofilament. And everyone does a project where it's about sex. Like they're like the student tropes. <laughs> It wasn't very technical in terms of like what you could learn. And the textiles there was more technical. I think it's a bit different now. But yeah, so really, really arty-farty, but just exploring like shape and colour and form and all of those things. I think when people, sometimes I sort of get asked about branding and look and sort of how you decide that. But I think if you've sort of gone to an art school in that way, that's kind of what you work on for those years it's your personal style it's like exploring so I wrote a dissertation but I wrote a dissertation not about anything to do with like knit or theory basically because I was really dyslexic and wanted to prove I had a lot of friends that were sort of at Cambridge and being quite smart and someone had made some annoying comment to me about oh I was studying fashion and so then I decided to write my dissertation on I think if it 
get it right. The internal and external visuals presented in Soviet <laughs> dystopian literature between 1905 and 1915. Wow. And I got like a A star. So I was really like, <laughs> just to like prove a point. Uh, but actually, I kind of probably wish I'd done it about textile theory and history. And then I did a master's, which I think a master is not so much as you learning more skills but it's like honing your voice with like some really good tutors to help you and I loved the first year and then I hated my second year with a passion and I produced an all grey collection talking about grey wow all grey because it was like do it colourful and fail do it grey and pass and I was like I've taken a loan out and I was like I can't (laughs) fail and have this stupid debt so fine it's going to be grey and it was great. And it also came out just when Fifty Shades of Grey was getting big, oh. which was worse. That it kind of helped it. And everyone would make jokes about it being great anyway. And then I sort of was like, nah, none of that again. No more grey. <laughs> no more grey. So colour choices. Like We can see that you're sitting there with those gorgeous crochet blankets. There's nothing nicer to me than a granny square or a hex, hexy or any of those things. So if you're starting off, you know, when you're going to make a blanket what does your inspiration come from for some of these collections I mean I know we've obviously got your gorgeous Frida Kahlo collection at Lovecrafts which is a amazing celebration of Frida where does your inspiration come from um I think when I work I still really work like I did because I had like a fashion brand for four years before I kind of transferred it to be pattern based and I think I still operate somewhat in that kind of training that brain where I will make like a collection I don't tend to just make a one-off piece I'll have like a theme and a vibe and I'll research it and I'll make maybe you know like four or five pieces in that world so I'll still do like a big I don't say much sketchbook but I'll have like a big like vision wall with I pick a theme and then just really explore it and see where that goes. Because I think it helps me break out of the habit or like things I would automatically pick and it feels like too safe. I love fashion and I love clothes. And I think that's just how I learn. And from also, I always try and champion sort of sustainability. So I think like if I'm making something, I kind of want there to be reason or depth to it so I still really concentrate on that sort of research side and I think that's where I normally then pick out my color palette so I'm inspired quite a lot by sort of art or architecture or an artist like Frida I can't get enough of. If you like Lovecraft you're gonna love our show so just subscribe now get over and done with. It's the Lovecraft Show. It's the Lovecraft Show. Oh my God, we love to craft. It's the Lovecraft Show. There you go. There it is. Yeah, Yeah. we haven't even started on the proper singing yet, have we? Every time I try and plan colour, like in advance without seeing it in like its proportion or its layout, just doesn't look good. It just doesn't look right, and I think. Maybe that is why I would say like if people are introducing more colours into your piece, maybe something like Stash Busters are good at the beginning because normally you've got colours you like, but also then you can make decisions on the cuff about actually this one looks good here and this one doesn't. Um, 
because I think that is a lot about like putting colors together. It's normally their balance of how they sort of interact with each other, not just like, oh, this is a palette and it looks nice. It's kind of um, how much of one color. And then there's a certain a certain bravery to, I can't remember what the technical term is, but when you commit, you've, you've made a bad decision, but you've spent a long time in that bad decision, so you carry on. And what you're saying is actually sometimes just reel it back, just go back to where you started. I mean, I'm pretty terrible at like undoing work. I will do it, but I will begrudgingly do it. But yeah, I think it's it's something that if you're making something, especially if you're hand making it, like don't just mm. stick to a decision because you think, oh, maybe it will look all right in the end. Because most of the time, if you're not feeling it halfway through, you're not going to like it at the end. And then there's nothing worse than something you've like uh, spent hours and hours on and then just ends at the bottom of your closet. Oh, yeah. One of the things I always love as well is when you see things, certain combinations. For some reason, I was remembering the band Jungle and when they came out and they were all like that weird early 90s, like ski jacket vibe with like bmws and you're just like oh that's awful and then after about a fortnight you're like that's rad because there's something that just <laughs> your brain absorbs it configures it and goes do you know what that's so fresh and different to where i'm at that actually the discomfort i've just gone through has made that completely worthwhile it's a real strength there you know we rest on our laurels too much i reckon and our tastes do change like when you sort of think of the stuff generally speaking, that you liked when you were a teenager. Guns and roses. The chances are... (laughs) I mean, you were a lot cooler than me with my busted obsession. (laughs) (laughs) I do think as well, things like... I mean, I remember the 80s where, you know, we were all obsessed with giant jewellery and stuff like that. And now I just, I really struggle to wear any jewellery. And I think that's because of the 80s. So we, we do love things and then we go off things. And then so you can sort of, I'm, I'm sure we just go through palettes of life as well. That sounds like that should be the name of an album. Palettes, palettes of, life. of Life. Enya <laughs> presents Palettes of Life. I mean, luckily I'm a hoarder. So I just keep everything forever. <laughs> and so does all my family. So it's like, I just, I'm just waiting normally for it to come back in. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to change the subject. I've got a quiz coming up in a minute, which would be good. But oh, crazy! <laughs> yeah. If I could crack my knuckles, I'd do it be, now. It'd so be like good. A... But I was thinking about color, and I was thinking about something I'd heard about how bees can't see color, right? Because <laughs> it's true. How do they know where the flowers are? Well, then? this is the thing, right? Bees uh, can't see red. They can't see the infrared range of the spectrum, but they're very good at the ultraviolet range of the spectrum. So Ooh. they can't see the colour red, but they can see a lot deeper into that. And some certain types of plants, like foxgloves and stuff like that, have developed ultraviolet elements that provide a sort of like landing platform for these bees. Turns out that bees can distinguish between light and dark very well, so they can see the edges of things really easily. But weirdly, they can't necessarily tell the difference between a circle and an oval. <gasps> and then it also turns out that bees uh, rely on magnetism to navigate because they've got a, a mineral inside them called magnetite, which means that their Earth's polarity and the North Pole and stuff can guide their navigation and those sorts of things. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. So then, so then it turns out that they can be influenced. Like if you... Bees, when they're setting up a new hive, will orient to certain directions based on the magnetism and the way it pulls. They've got a thing called a waggle dance as well. I didn't really understand it. But it turns out that then they can be influenced by different magnetic directions. So I got in touch with a friend of mine who used to live in an intentional community like 
15 years ago. He still lives there, but we haven't spoken in ages. And we conducted a brief experiment where we got loads of little magnets and we dotted them around. He got bees. That was why I got in touch with him. It wasn't just a random man, but he's got, <laughs> he's got bees. And so we were like, this, what happens if you put loads of magnets in different directions? Does it make them, you know, instead of doing hexagons, do they do triangles? Do they do squares or something like that? And so we took loads of quite strong magnets and scattered them all around his beehives. And then we left them for a week. And when we came back, the hives had been recreated to say, subscribe to the Lovecraft show on Apple, iTunes, Spotify. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's that was absolutely marvellous. That was. You're welcome. That was a good one. Hexagons are the most efficient shape in terms of strength for the amount of material used. You might find ah. that with your hexagons behind you there. They're a surprisingly strong form of crochet. But I digress. I wanted to do a quiz about busted because <laughs> turns out you've got a busted obsession. So I've got a little... I'm going to be really crap at this because I feel it was, it's been all replaced with crochet. So Maybe. Well, this is what I thought we'd test out is I've got, I've got five questions for you to see. They're multiple choice. So I'm being very okay. generous here. Okay, so, so we'll see how we go on. And you can take part in this as well. And Marianne. also, if it's new busted, I know nothing. It's not muck busted. This is classic busted, I think. Okay, good. To be honest. Yeah, I'm not going to know any of these, so I'm just going to listen. <laughs> right. So what was busted's first single? Do you need choices or do you know? Um, It's what I go to school for. That is correct. Ding, 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 ding. Who is the oldest member of busted? Oh, I'm going to say it's Matt. Correct. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding. His birthday. He was my favourite. And when I first saw them live, he had to wear sunglasses because he had a massive black eye. Oh, That's a... <gasps> oh Matt. Poor old thing. So rugged as a, as a like a 14-year-old girl. So I, have, I fancy the rugged one. Do you want a bonus <laughs> point if you know when his birthday is? Oh, my God. At one point, I would know his height, his weight, his birthday, but I am... No, I have no idea. It's the, That's uh, gone from my brain. 8th of May, 1983. <gasps> I'm the 6th of May. I should remember <gasps> that. We Whoa, you two are like... <laughs> what year were you born? Uh, 88. Ah, so he's five years your senior. The older man. Mm. Right. Older so, and rugged. <laughs> who, uh, who is the tallest member of Busted? Uh, Charlie, because the other two are massively short. That's true. Bonus point, do you know how tall he is? I think he's taller than me, and I'm six foot, so I'm going to say six four. Six four is exactly right. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Ding, ding, ding. And then actually, it turns out I've only got four questions because I didn't write down the fifth <laughs> one. That's clever. That's um, fantastic. <laughs> what year did Busted, on what date? I'll give you a multiple choice here. On oh. what date did Busted release their debut album? Was it 7th of June 2002, 30th of September 2002, 21st of April 2002 or 18th of November 2002? So their first album I saw for my birthday present, which would have been May. So I'm going to say it was released in, do you release it before the gigs? Yeah, April. Oh, so close. But no, apparently no? Uh, 30th of September 2002. However... You got right three out of four absolutely right there. So that was terrible though. I should that was I dedicated my life to those boys when I was thirteen or fourteen or fifteen. So I should have got them all, but sadly I've lost all of the, you know, the brain power that remembered their heights and their weights and their 
I no. thought it was good though. You know, it's like when you rekindle. You know, like I bet if I started humming one of their songs, you'd know the lyrics immediately. Yes, or something, of course. You? But I don't. I should think so. Twenty six gigs in a year—that's yeah, a lot right. of gigs. And your parents didn't go. Surely twenties enough. <laughs> I don't think they knew I went to all of them. I would like save my lunch money. I know I have a very very obsessive personality. Like I know that's a trait. And I feel that it being channeled into crochet is a lot more healthy and productive than busted. Than still being a fangirl of busted. I can't believe that you haven't recreated that Elvis jumper, but with busted on the front of it. Surely that would you'd get them now. What do they? They need all the PR they can get. (laughs) No, I was a sucker. I was part of like the street teams, which I feel like they're terrible. They're basically just like free labor from children where they send out you like posters and flyers. I'd go around my school with official flyers, flyering people. I mean, I'm surprised I wasn't beat up more. The only other thing I was going to say is that apparently bees have got five eyes, three normal ones, and then two of them are compound eyes that have up to 7,000 lenses on each. That's insane. Oh, that's actually, I can't even think about that. That's setting off my... That's a lot of good bee trivia. Thanks very much. I'll be back. I'm going to I'm gonna use some of that. <laughs> one put, my husband tries to outwit me on bees because one job he did once in animation was for something movie. all about bees. Okay. It was all about bees. So he's got quite a few, good few bee trivias, but I'm going to save those ones so I can now. Yeah, outbee him. him. That's it, yeah. trivia. And anybody, if you're listening, now that you have mm. everything you need to know about crochet, but also bees from Jamie, we'd love and to busted. and busted. <laughs> we'd love to hear all your thoughts about bees and busted and crochet. If you'd like to to share them with us, you can send us an email on uh, show at lovecrafts.com. Yeah, or you can hear us on our speak pipe. Don't forget uh, speakpipe.com forward slash the Lovecrafts show. Tell us your bee based trivia for the next time because you know what i was thinking a while ago is that when we get around to season two of the show we definitely need to have a color conference that has katie and Gigi on it oh now yeah we talked to the amazing gay glassby from Gigi made it and she's like she loves orange and everything she you know she just loves wearing orange Bright orange, she's got her colour. Yeah, she rocks. Yeah, she really rocks it. If someone were to say to you, and this is probably very tricky, have Mm. you got your one colour? Is there one colour that's like you that I really love? Mm. I'm quite a pink girl, which feels very stereotypical, but I think I'm quite a pink girl. I I have a lot of pink. I got banned at uni from using pink because I used it in every single project. So I think probably pink is going to be my go-to. I love pink. Pink is a gorgeous colour, isn't it? It's a fabulous colour. There's so many pinks. There are. It's a massive range. But I think definitely that's from my granny because she would only wear pink or red. So I think that's the take home. Also, it has quite a weird clash with ginger, but I don't mind it. So it's all right. It's <laughs> <laughs> a disharmony again, isn't it? I think that is a disharmony. Pink and ginger ale, yeah. You did a whole pom-pom thing at Bestival, didn't you? I was well jealous when I clocked onto that. That's I amazing. Mean, that was that was pom-pom, but that was like pom-pom too far. Was it, it was okay. It <laughs> was. I mean, the pom-poming with children was fun. Pom-poming mm. with adults who have taken far too many illegal substances, <laughs> not so fun. But I think we were sort of doing on average, I think we worked out, it was like 300 people came to pom-pom a day. And wow. then most of them made like three or four plus pom-poms so it was kind of we got through a lot of yarn and blunt and 
is that the right word? Blunted? Now, yeah. Blunted? Yes. A lot of scissors. I've got boxes of really, really bad blunt scissors now from that. Don't you uh, cut them with tinfoil? Cut tinfoil with scissors to resharpen them. I think that's oh. the thing. Yeah, if you, if you make lots and lots that. of fold tinfoil over and over and over, and I think if you I'll cut it, sharpen. it will start to sharpen them up. Well, that's an afternoon wow. for me. You're that's another, yeah. you know, <laughs> second lockdown afternoon in, sharpening about 500 pairs of scissors. Isn't it funny that we've had a sort of pom renaissance? I mean, pom-poms, when I was a kid, it was, it was a thing, but you only had a bit of cardboard to do it on. But now, of course, in this great world of pom-poms, Everybody's got like fandangly plastic pom pom makers and multi poms. Multi pom. I've got a multi pom. I love a multi pom. That's safe. Yeah, I've life. never used it, but yeah, they are gorgeous. I think maybe fell into the crafty world when I was doing my fashion label because of pom poms. Because I would do like pom pom accessories just to match for the photo shoots. And then like, people were asking, oh, can you just do like a workshop with pom poms? And so then I started pom-poming more. But I agreed, I don't know why, in the early days when you think all press is good pressed, I agreed to make 100 pom-pom earrings for like a magazine launch. Oh, Which crikey. therefore is 200 pom-poms. And I had four days to do oh, it. Jesus. So I didn't sleep. Oh. I didn't sleep for three days pom-poming, which is when you're like, pom-poming is not worth yeah. staying up. <laughs> <laughs> for like 72 hours and that was I think the first two days I didn't have a multi-pom and then I'm pretty sure my mum or somebody gave me a multi-pom and I was like oh, yeah. my life I could do two at once I could do eight at once <laughs> I can see this is a, if you don't know if you don't know what a multi-pom is it's one of those things that you see at craft fairs it looks like a big wire rectangle with sort of things across it and what people go past this multipom stand and gasp. You can always tell the people who have never seen a multipom before. It's like, what dark magic is this? More than one pom pom at a time. Because I know Sue. I know Sue who invented multipom because I knew her before multipom and she was a textile artist. And then she had this idea. And then I remember seeing it at one show and it was like, oh, she's got this thing where she's doing multipom and her family are doing it. And now they are the queen and queen of multipomination and they're They've always taken there, over the pom. Well. I think you can do up to like 20 at a time so I mean if you've got a lot of poms to be done I don't see why you would use anything else I know if you need a mass pom <laughs> you definitely a mass pom although I am very 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 fond and very devoted to the fork pom-pom that's really my favorite pom is when you can make a pom-pom on a fork and that's my favorite oh i like the lazy pom-pom where you just tie a knot around a whole ball <laughs> <gasps> yes and then wow. you cut it my favourite, I did that some with like, you know, like an Aaron size ball where it's like 500 grams. They make like oh, a wow. pom that's like a this giant. Thing. It's amazing. Yeah. That feels like that's really yes. decadent. Like you just be like, yeah, I'm just going to cut this and make a pom and screw <laughs> you guys. Do you know, yesterday I was down an Instagram rabbit hole and I'll try and find where I was. But I was, you know, when you go onto one person and then you see a picture and you go somewhere else. And, another, and there was a woman who was making pom poms, you know, like the size of a chair. I think she was doing them on these giant frames. Oh, was it um, part of the Craft Council's uh, Sweet Tooth Hotel? Yeah. Yes, I it's, think it it's one been. of their artists. I can't remember what. Hers are amazing. They're so big. 
That's so big. And she's got like a grabbing machine where like those yes, like, that's her. grab the palms. Yeah. And she made them on like a giant, giant loom. Uh, a giant loom. Yeah. And she was like, look at this one I did earlier. And it's just like this. It looks like a creature. It's so big. It's can you a imagine huge green ones from that? Like that is gonna, oh. when you're trimming, you need some industrial mask. And what do you do with them when you finish the art project? Do you just put them in your garage and then be like, well, I'm not going in there again. I've got 12 pom-poms. These ones you could sit on. I mean, they were gigantic. I mean, I still have lots that get used for various projects. Like we did like a giant window in Selfridges and it had giant poms on and then for best of all. And so you kind of have to give them a little haircut each time because they get a bit <laughs> dirty. So like they start off like massive and get smaller and smaller and smaller. But most of like those giant ponds, I think we've now used about four or five times. So as long as you've got some storage, you can just sort of keep them around. Just cheeky yarn bomb every now and again. Put yeah. some up in a tree and freak out some locals. It's the trimming <laughs> that's so compulsive with the pom-pom. And you know, last year in the Lovecrafts office, we were working with the Breast Cancer Haven charity. And they go to sort of different festivals and things making pom boobs. Amazing. So you you kind of make your own boobs out of yarn as a pom pom, and of course, and using different colours for different bits, and then of course you get into the trimming of the poms. And so we were just making these pom boobs, so many all over the place, all different. It was marvellous. And now, uh, yeah, it gets quite compulsive the trimming. So uh, what's what's next in the world of Katie Jones? So I'm trying to do more. I suppose like online to support the patterns because I think for me a big thing when I started doing patterns was writing patterns for people that weren't used to reading patterns because I think there's a huge amount of people that have learned through YouTube or through someone showing them and then you go to read a pattern and it's like another language and it's really daunting let alone being confusing because of English and American terminology so with my patterns they try I try and have like as many photos and diagrams as possible and um, but since kind of lockdown I did like a Instagram cow and I was filming more and I've kind of got in the habit of doing that more and so now I want to kind of bring that in with the patterns and especially actually like after lockdown so many more people coming into crafting as a sort of activity that can relax them and when you're first learning, sometimes it's not that relaxing because it's really stressful and you don't know quite what you're doing. So hopefully videos will make that first bit a little bit easier. So that's the kind of current to do. I will also be doing something for Lovecrafts, like a blog post and talking about it during the festival. Mm. Yes, let me just tell you about the festival. It's the Lovecrafts Festival. We're having a fantastic virtual festival. Seeing as no one can go to any festivals because of the horrible virus, we decided to have a virtual festival and invite all our very favourite designers and creators and makers to Lovecrafts. And so we're hosting events all the way through the month of August. And uh, Katie's joining us. And then you, you're going to be writing about crochet in the home. Yes. Yeah, so I, right? I moved last year to a new home. And I think as a back, I mean, I'm colourful anyway, but definitely as a backlash from renting in a white box. Oh, man. I mean, I'm very, very lucky that my husband also has like the same taste as me. It is becoming more and more colourful as each week goes by. But what I've really been enjoying, and I think it's especially like I find 
with a lot of people where you turn the thing that's your love and your hobby and your passion into your job that it's really hard to every time I want to make a jumper even if it's for me for it to then become work Mm. Um, and so actually I've been loving the home stuff because I'm just picking up stuff that I would never write a pattern for and so I don't have to plan it and I don't have to think about it and I don't have to do like the quantities for it because it's just for me so I've been really enjoying I started a latchet rug Ooh. man it's slow man it's slow <laughs> but I love it <laughs> and so like in each room I'm just basically trying to shoulder in as much is that the right word elbow in not shoulder in mm-hmm. um as much crafty stuff as possible so I've been sort of working on macrame uh lampshades and different blankets and yeah as much as I can so I've been really enjoying that and so I'm going to be sharing some of my makes too because I think it's it's a really nice fun way to sort of brighten up your home and I think there's a real massive growth in those sort of portable soft furnishings because actually so many people do rent that they're like great things that you can do to make your home a bit different without doing any kind of permanent stuff yeah and such is the the mighty power of craft and crochet really is perfect for homes isn't it people will write off crochet and say oh it's just for blankets it's just for your homes and of course we they say no 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 we love crochet garments and we do but there is a very special place in everyone's heart for a crochet blanket at home let alone a crochet dolly toilet roll holder. Yes. Cover. Yes. Or a poodle. <laughs> poodle one cover. If anybody has got, I would love to ask actually, if any of our listeners have got uh, crochet toilet roll holders or poodle wine bottles, please send us a picture. Send us a picture at show at lovecrafts.com. We'd love to see them. Mm. Pride of play. I want to, I definitely, I'm definitely going to get one of those in my life somewhere down the line. Got to find the right doll, I suppose, as a starting point, right? Maybe with the mouth of an eagle and the arms of a lizard. Yeah, find like the That's biggest, really... or like a dinosaur would be brilliant, like a crochet dinosaur. Uh, yeah. uh, you could like crochet, I don't know, like yeah. it, the bit over the loo roll could be like the undergrowth. Yeah. And then like the dinosaur coming out. There'd be a it. diorama going on. Uh-oh, I can see a whole Some new crocheted succulents around it. I think that's good. I feel like that's been another excellent episode of The Lovecraft Show, wouldn't you say? Oh, I think it's been a fantastic episode of The Lovecraft Show. And I, of course, I'm going to agree. Yeah, you should. Oh, <laughs> Katie, I'll tell you what, it has been the fastest chat ever. I feel like we've just covered everything. We have, and we barely even it's started. It's been wonderful. We could go on for yeah. days. Katie... Will you come back again I in series two, in season two, back. and talk to us? Because we'd love that, AJ. You yeah, normally can't shut me up. No, I'd, I'd love to come back. That's been another exciting episode of The Lovecraft Show. My name's Mr. X-Ditch. And I'm Marion. And if you see a faded sign by the side of the road that says 15 miles to the Lovecraft Shack, yeah. <laughs> Lovecraft Shack, baby. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Katie, that was absolutely fantastic. That's just I'm thrilled to bits. That was wonderful. Guys, did you just love that? Mm-hmm.